0: What up Bengals fans and welcome to another episode of the Locked On Bengals podcast. I'm Jake Lisko, one of your hosts, along with James Rapine, the other one of your hosts. You can find us on Twitter at Jake underscore NFL and at James Rapine. Follow us individually on Twitter and follow the podcast at Locked On Bengals for your daily updates on what's going on with the Cincinnati Bengals. Hello Bengals fans and welcome to another episode of the Locked on Bengals podcast. Today we continue the AFC North Ultimate Division crossover series by talking about the Cleveland Browns and whether they will finally get it together up by the lake and shed that mistake nickname and uh, I don't think so James or at least they have something to prove before they get there but you'll hear from Jeff, Chris, James and Kevin and myself in segments two and three of the show with uh, the Browns as the center of conversation today. Before we get there, though, Lance Zerline, the NFL.com draft head honcho, he's been on this podcast and he did an article last week on the leading candidates for rookie of the year. And you'll never guess who is at the top of the list. Or maybe you have already guessed or have already read. Outside of that, Joe Mixon has tweeted that he does not want to wear the potential COVID-protecting mouth guard, mouth shield developed by Oakley. We'll talk a little bit about Joe Mixon and his social media adventures after we talk about those threatening Joe Burrow for his, I'd say, odds-on favorite for Rookie of the Year. Cincinnati Bengals rookie quarterback Joe Burrow is the odds-on favorite for Rookie of the Year, depending on who you ask, but NFL.com's Lance Zerline puts him at the top of his list. Meanwhile, Joe Mixon has had some very interesting tweets lately about the Oakley mouth guard, the the mouth shield, and some contracts in Kansas City. This is your Locked On Bengals lead story. I'm Jake Lisko, along with James Rapine. James, let's get started by taking a look at Lance Erline's list for candidates for Rookie of the Year. It starts with two former LSU Tigers in Joe Burrow and his teammate, Clyde Edwards-Alaire. And I think everyone is on Joe Burrow for Rookie of the Year. So what's interesting to me when we start to look at this stuff is who's threatening him? Who are the legitimate other players that could win the award? And the first two guys... On Lance's list are running backs in Clyde Edwards, Laird, DeAndre Swift. goes on with Jonathan Taylor, Jerry Judy, Cam Akers, Justin Jefferson. It's interesting to me, James, that the other quarterbacks aren't anywhere near the top of this list. And Lance is basically saying that he doesn't
1: expect Justin Herbert to start early on, if at all, this season. And with Tua's injury history, who knows? If he starts right away in Miami, while I think he's much more talented than Ryan Fitzpatrick, you never know uh, how long it's going to take him to get on the field. I actually I like Clyde uh, Edwards-Hilaire as far as his odds, because you talk about situations. This is like the perfect situation for Edwards-Hilaire. He goes from Burrow in that LSU offense where he could just be this fail safe in the passing game. He could make defenders miss, had a good offensive line, like all these things in, in the run game. And then he goes to the Chiefs. Where he doesn't have to be the guy, but he could also probably put up pretty big numbers and, and be the third or fourth option on that offense. Uh, I I think he's uh, if there's a threat, if there's one guy that could threaten, I think it's him. That and that's why he's second on this list. I agree with Lance wholeheartedly. I think Edward Talair comes in right away and is kind of that that plug and play, kind of like Josh Jacobs was last year, where he's producing right away. Uh, and he produces consistently, which obviously is what you're looking at from uh, or for a, a running back if he's going to threaten for this award.
0: I think the challenge for Edward Zelaire is going to be that Damian Williams is still going to get touches in Kansas City. And Lance Zerline points this out. And I think Edward Zolaire would need a full share of the work in order to win the Rookie of the Year Award, the Offensive Rookie of the Year Award as a running back, I think that there are a few other tidbits that Lance included that are very interesting. The first one is since 1990, only four players have won Heisman Trophy and then have gone on to win Offensive Rookie of the Year in consecutive years. So it's Kyler Murray, Robert Griffin III, Cam Newton, and Eddie George going all the way back to 1990. Three of those examples, fairly recent, but worth noting that Andrew Luck didn't, I mean, he didn't win the Heisman, obviously, but he uh, didn't win rookie of the year. He lost it to Robert Griffin, the third. So the guy that some people have talked about, you know, best quarterback prospects since didn't even win rookie of the year that year. No tight end or offensive lineman has ever won the award. Only three wide receivers have won the award in the last 21 years. And it's gone to NFC players for 13 straight seasons, which is a very interesting coincidence, I think. Yeah, it is. That's surprising. And there's been a
1: couple races, right? The Baker Mayfield a couple of years ago sets the rookie record for touchdown passes. Saquon Barkley edges him um, in that race. But, yeah, that's – I didn't know that, you know. in And when you read this article, 13 straight by the NFC. Uh, I guess the good news is if you're a Bengals fan or, or, or just an AFC, hoping the AFC could turn this around, obviously Burrow, the odds-on favorite – we mentioned Edward Talaire, Obviously, he's in the AFC. But then Jonathan Taylor, AFC. Jerry Judy, AFC. Um, so, so three or wait, four. Four of the the top five here on, on this list are from the AFC. So you, you got to like their chances. At some point, they got to get over the hump, right? And it should be Burrow. But you know, even if Edward Talaire has a huge year, hopefully, if Burrow does what he's uh, capable of doing in this Bengals offense, he should win the award. But. Yeah. Uh, it, um, it, it is interesting, and there is going to be a, a rookie, maybe Tua, who, who is eighth on this list. Maybe he emerges or someone else. Someone's going to come out of nowhere and threaten for this. I don't think this is going to be just some cakewalk for
0: Joe. And it's always pretty competitive. But speaking of Joe's, Joe Mixon tweeted, Y'all might as well have a puppet of sanitizers coming out of our uniforms while you're at it. I won't wear it. Talking about the Oakley mouth shield that's been developed. Also, some comments from JJ Watt saying that he doesn't want to wear it, talking about how he thought he wanted to wear a visor once and then he was sweating too much. And some other commentary around, oh, there are going to be players feeling claustrophobic. So we'll see how that deployment goes. Mixon also has another deleted tweet. These are both deleted at this point, reacting to the Kansas City extensions that they're giving out to players, saying the Kansas City's taking care of their guys. Mixon clearly wants that big second deal and i think that this is a little bit of frustration boiling over and we'll just have to see if the bengals end up getting anything done with him as the season is approaching and a lot of deals are coming out this week with training camp set to get started soon
1: i'm hopeful jake i'm hopeful training camp is gonna start in a couple of weeks it's supposed to be july 28th my fingers are crossed as i say this i hope that is the case And I do expect to see Joe Mixon there in a couple of weeks. All right, Locked on Bengals listeners. Up next, it's time to take a look at what I think is going to be the next great rivalry in the AFC North. I think the Battle of Ohio, it's on its way back. We're going to talk Browns with Jeff Lloyd. Disclaimer, this was recorded before. Again, before... The Miles Garrett extension news, but still plenty to talk about, plenty to catch up on. So stay tuned for that right here on the Locked On Bengals podcast. All right, Locked On Bengals listeners, it's time to pass the baton to our roundtable. We have Locked On Ravens host Kevin, who you're going to hear from first. Obviously, Chris with Locked On Steelers, Jeff from Locked On Browns, Jake and myself. It's a roundtable. You're going to hear from all of us for the following two segments. We're going to talk about the Browns a bit and just hang tight because we'll get to the Bengals on our very next show. We're going to make them talk Bengals with us. So catch up on the AFC North foe, the Cleveland Browns right now. We'll start with Kevin from Locked on Ravens.
2: I don't know what it is with the Cleveland Browns. When when you talk about the Browns and how they relate to the Ravens, it seems like over the past few years, they've had the Ravens number. You know, Baker Mayfield coming in, having a very strong rookie season was obviously the headline. It was expected that he was going to take a big year to leap. And what happened? Not that. Instead, the Ravens quarterback, Lamar Jackson, took a big year to leap. I'm sure Browns fans are tired of hearing about that. But when you look at the difference, and I'll get to my question for Jeff just in a bit here, I think it was just because Baker Mayfield didn't put in the time to get better. And obviously, I think with another offseason now under his belt as we head into training camps, or at least what should be the start of training camps, this Cleveland team, I actually do believe, makes the playoffs. And this is something I've stuck by for a while. I do think they sneak in as either the sixth or, I'm going to say, seventh seed. Nick Chubb is so instrumental to their success, and obviously the hiring and then firing of Freddie Kitchens, the whole Freddie Kitchens saga was something that I wasn't on board with from the beginning. It seemed like he underutilized some of the talents, including Nick Chubb. And then you see David Njoku, somebody who I thought had a ton of talent, was barely used. And you saw guys like Ricky Seals Jones come in. Odell Beckham was rumored to be unhappy. It was just, you know, the train wreck that sadly people have become accustomed to when it comes to the Cleveland Browns. But now with new Kevin Stefanski in the driver's seat as the head coach, now you have Andrew Berry who's been making phenomenal moves. I liked most everything they did this offseason, you know, from the little things such as signing Anderson Deho, trading for a fullback, and also signing Carl Joseph, guys like Austin Hooper, and then somehow getting Jack Conklin for a steal of a deal in which, you look at the Lions paying Big V five years, $50 million, I mean, what was that? The draft also, Grant Delbert was a home run of a pick. Even Jedrick Wills, I mean, the Browns had their pick of some good offensive linemen, the offensive line had to be addressed, and I think they had a phenomenal offense offseason I think this is a playoff team. But Jeff, my question for you, it goes back to what I said about Baker Mayfield. Has Baker Mayfield taken this offseason, I'll say a bit more seriously, this time around. How hard has he been working to kind of make people forget about that bad year too?
3: Um I, I tell you what, Kevin, I was ready to jump all over you, but you kinda wait, found a way to take a couple of shots but also admit some positivity so that I do like, um, and look, it's judging this offseason right now, it's the most difficult thing anybody in content producing is going through. Um, we only know what we hear. Um, you know, there's no OTAs where, you know, it's, you know, the buzz of things. Um, but Baker to his credit, um, he is showing up to, you know, not only the quarterback meetings, he's showing up to every meeting he's showing up with notebooks, um, because when they finally can get to seagrass and see a field, you know, Baker wants to be able to correct something where it's not going to be something that's going to take a minute and a half. Where Coach Owen, I, you know, when I said four yards, I, I meant maybe four and a half. So Baker is in on this. He's doing a fantastic job with it. Uh, you know, in the resurgence of health, um, you know, Baker, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, Odell Jarvis, both with all season surgeries. Um, you look at you know the addition of an Austin Hooper, Kareem Hunt, which will be part of this plan for 16 games, between Odell, Jarvis, Hooper, Chubb, and Kareem Hunt. That is 5,500 yards of offense that existed in the 2019 NFL season. These guys are confident. I think what part of the problem was last year, Kevin, was everybody fell for the hype first. And when the Cleveland Browns are on the cover of this Sports Illustrated NFL preview, Yeah. I mean, you can kind of understand how it happens. Things and it was just a recipe of disaster where the, you know, and I am not taking fault away from the players that are certainly it is all on them. So as far as, you know, the players not producing like they had in years previous and Baker taking a step down and there's still some points where Baker actually had a pretty good year in 2019. It's going to take a lot because now the problem is, is you have so much newness to the room and not enough ample time to assemble it, to let it grow, let it marinate. So it's all there um, for the taking offensively. It is. There's a lot of talent there. Obviously, with the, what they've done with the offensive line, and Baker included, he's bought all in. But this is going to be a year like nobody has seen as far as the way the season goes. And this can go with NBA, you know, MLB, however it comes. Somebody might get hot and just kind of run away. And it could be a lesser known team, but the ingredients are there. The kitchen is stocked. You've got a chef. There's going to either way, there's going to be no excuses for no offseason. This Browns offense is expected to produce and expected to produce a lot.
4: Now, I got to ask, um, you know, Steelers fans might be wanting to know about Miles Garrett, but I think it's a bigger question than just Miles Garrett. I, I every year people hype me up about the Browns. They got this talent. They got that talent. They got this talent. They got that talent. I'm just like, it doesn't matter until the, the structural integrity that has been the problem at that organization changes. Every time they load up a talent, it doesn't matter. They find a way to crumble and things go wrong in the end. And I saw it coming last year. It happened. They fell apart even in the game where they dominated Pittsburgh. They, they embarrassed Mason Rudolph. And then they, and then Miles Garrett flips the entire switch the guy who I never thought I'd see anything like that from him that's something that I'd expect from Vontez Burke and that and and he comes out he he does he does that he's out for the rest of the season and the next game you know you have you have the head coach wearing shirts about Pittsburgh started and it just it just continues to permeate this sense of just craziness and instability within Cleveland What's the guarantee this year that Jeff, that we're going to see something different from Cleveland, that they're finally going to deliver on what they've been saying, that we're back, we're different. We're not the same Cleveland Browns that we've been since we've returned to the NFL. I think it is the structure and look, the ownership, you know, ownership is what
3: it is. Um, and you work around that as an infrastructure of an NFL franchise from the general manager to the head coach, to the players, these, and this has kind of been the thing now because you don't get to see a lot, like you know, a lot with these pre- press conferences. You're listening, you're hearing. You have a general manager. You have Paul Padessa, you know, chief, you know, executive officer. You have Kevin Stefanski. It's so uniform in the answers to questions. And this was never the case. Whether it was a John Dorsey or before him, or a Sashi or a Hugh Jackson before him, it was about and Freddie Kitchens included. It was about trying to say the right things. You don't want to look, you're not there to amp people up. You're there to speak, and hopefully, your words lead to actions, which is winning football games. Um, I think what you look at from Kevin Stefanski as far as what he likes, you know, wide zone, that's where Nick Chubb excelled. Play action, Jarvis Landry, Odell Beckham, almost 1,200 yards last year. Play action passing, everything just seems to add up. Um, I, I think it's it's intelligence. Intelligence is don't put you know the marker on yourself. John Dorsey didn't do that. Hugh Jackson certainly didn't do that. Um, there, obviously Freddie Kitchens didn't do that. You talk about what you're planning to achieve. You don't go out there and throw out catchphrases, slogans. If you don't wear orange and brown, you don't matter. Talk about the X's and O's. Talk about the Billies and the Joes. And if you don't succeed on the field, then maybe you're moved on from. But don't set yourself up for failure by pre- creating your own lightning rod. And that's where it's been insane with this franchise. Because there's times where these guys are popping off. It's like, well, you're not 11-2. You're 0-13. Speak about the game, speak about the actions. speak about what you need to do to get better. Speak about why you didn't win or why you can win. Keep it simple, stupid. That applies to on the field, it applies to front office. And the way this is now structured, these folks are way, way far too intelligent to get themselves in a situation where their words are going to bite them in their ass. If it doesn't work out and everybody gets canned, That'll be because they didn't do their jobs. It won't be because they created a lightning rod for themselves where people were gunning for them, waiting for failure. They're just far too intelligent for that same old Miss, Chris.
0: I guess you do see that with the front office a little bit. And I do expect Kevin Stefanski to run a more mature coaching staff and, and more mature front of the house or back of the house or whatever you want to call the, the coaching staff in the front <laughs> office. You do wonder about Baker Mayfield a little bit. He, he is uh, certainly prone to, to going off, but I do want to talk about something you said about unity of message. You're talking about unity of message from the top down, from, from Dave Podesta, from uh, Stefanski. The Bengals had that too. The Bengals went 2-14 and 14 last year. So my question is, with a virtual offseason where Kevin Stefanski hasn't gotten to work with any of these players physically in person yet, Is there anything to you that's more concerning than the fact that you're trying to bring in an entirely new regime in this particular off season? Do you have the feeling that, man, just another kick to the Browns, you know, we we can't catch a break. We got everything going in the right direction and now there's a global pandemic and and now we can't install it. Or or are you not concerned about that as much as other things?
3: Well, I mean, look, anybody who says, the way this offseason has worked is not a concern. They're fooling themselves Um, because, you know, look, I mean, what happens to everybody? Look, what we all do come Friday night when we have our weekends, we go off and we have a little fun and, you know, we stray from the norm. So you're concerned about, you know, whether these guys are you know attending Zoom meetings and they're there essentially in spirit. Uh, But for the most part, look, you added Austin Hooper to this. Look, Nick Chubb was here last year. Kareem Hunt was here last year. David Njoku, look, he can say whatever he wants. They can cry the blues all they want. The Browns committed his fifth-year option. Shut up, dude. The Browns showed you a commitment. Your best chance of succeeding as maybe possibly being at best a receiving tight end for the rest of your NFL career is maybe with the quarterback that you had 56 receptions with in year two. Odell, Jarvis, this is now on you as well. Look, as much as it is Baker, Odell, Jarvis, what has it been? We want to get paid. We want to win. Well, guess what? You guys are about to be 27, 28 years old. If it doesn't work out this year, you have this label, and everybody sees it. It's on social media every day about Odell. Why it's not there on, a, on Jarvis, who's only played in one playoff game, I don't really understand. But it comes to the point where, like, you can say what you want. You know, we want to win. We want to win. We want to win. All right, well, then take a pay cut. Let us get an extra player in here. This, that, and the other thing. Um, it's, it's now or never. Look, this could get really bad. It could. You know, and especially with Baker in year three, the most pivotal year as far as going from that rookie contract to where the commitment will be. Yeah, this is a lot of this is on Baker. Coach Stefanski, obviously only one year. Um, you know, Baker, you know, it was there was good Baker last year and there was some really bad. And it was but you've done everything. You solidified it, whether it is offensive tackle, two guys brought in, um, you know, you added in Austin Hooper because you needed a more predominant blocking tight end i don't think it's just a baker thing i think everybody who plays at the offensive skill position is now on notice and it's just we're gonna have to find the right pieces here and if it doesn't work this year it barry's gonna get more than one year stefanski's gonna get more than one year and if they have to start trimming some hedges so to speak there's gonna
0: be guys that get dropped for the sake of all those brown fans i think Everyone in Cleveland is hoping that there's some maturity and some commitment to the front office. You mentioned that, and I'll frankly believe it when I see it, Jeff, we will give you a chance to throw it back at us here coming up in the second half of the show in just a minute.
3: Getting back earlier where we talked about maybe where, you know, now there is an semblance of structure and you can visibly see it here. Um, just to, we've obviously, you know, mentioned a little bit about the Browns offense. So let's go to the defensive side of the ball here. Um, you know, the, the way it was constructed, you know, they went out, obviously, you know, Andrew Billings, obviously coming over from the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, so you add to, that was a third defensive tackle. They drafted Jordan Elliott out of Missouri. There's a fourth defensive tackle. Uh, Olivia Vernon after flirtations with Jadavia and Clowney that is now solidified. So you have your starting duo obviously, Miles Garrett and now Olivier Vernon. Um, you go out and you sign an Adrian Claiborne. They have guys to compete for that fourth defensive end. One of my guys that I think is a surprise and is probably going to rock down that role will be Porter Gustin. Uh, the linebacker position, uh, you know, you moved on from Christian Kirksey. You moved on as well from Joe Schobert. But then you went, you signed two free Asian safeties. You signed a free Asian cornerback in Kevin Johnson. Then round two, you get a steal. You get a player... To just fall in your lap in Grant Talbot, but a player I never thought that would see round two and just watching it all unfold. I was just sitting there shaking my head. Um, You know, a bad stretch for Grant Talbot but for three games with a high ankle sprain, and everybody just basically want to disown him as a player. You bring him in. So now they're you're deep in the secondary, they're deep in the defensive line. And then Joe Wood says, Look, my theory is is playing a lot of nickel, he's playing a lot, a lot of dime. So guess what? If you're in that theory, why are you going to pay linebackers a ton of money, which they didn't do? They have a bunch of young guys in here to compete, whether it's a Mac Wilson or see only Taki Taki holdovers from the last regime. They drafted Jacob Phillips, a guy I had targeted for them probably from as early as like December. Ended up getting him in the late third round with the Duke Johnson trade compensation. I, I, this is just what I'm talking about as far as, you know what they talk about and trying to establish it and everybody seems on board and it wasn't just, you know, the, the, the John Dorsey of, Oh, well, I really want Antonio Calloway. I really want Chad Thomas. Or, uh, you know, I'm not going to take Harold Landry, you know, over this guy. It was just mistakes that were made. I, I think they truly stuck to a plan and, you know, does it equate to wins? We certainly hope so. We certainly hope so. But just seeing it you know, is, is a win for this franchise because it was just so haphazard in how everything went up until that point. Um, Kevin, now look, you got to see for six quarters last year, you got to see when the Browns for obviously, you know, which, which was week four when the Browns won down in Cleveland. And then when you guys came in late in the season and Cleveland was completely undermanned defensively, but it was still another two. It was another tough half, two more quarters of football here. And I, when there's not going to be a preseason, because let's not kid ourselves, there's not going to be a preseason here. The Browns are going to have five, six weeks to prepare for Baltimore week one. It's diverse in how these two teams are built and how they're constructed. But they seem to, you know, compete against each other well and they fight well. And sorry for the other two guys, other two hosts in here and those group. This is, I think, going to be the battle going further, at least for the next couple of years. Look, Cincinnati's on the heels. Pittsburgh, there's going to be some reshaping. Sorry, Chris. It's going to happen. But Kevin, there's a nice matchup here as far as, you know, if you're talking about boxing and going 15 rounds between what Cleveland can do, what Baltimore can do as far as going competing against each other.
2: Yeah and you know you mentioned those 6 quarters I mean seriously if the Ravens didn't go out in the second quarter of that week 16 game or literally the final minute of that week 16 game and score two touchdowns in a span of a minute and nine seconds. I think it was Cleveland could have easily ran away with that game. Even, you know, just being a six to nothing game at the half the Ravens took all the momentum in that week, 16 game in literally a minute and nine seconds and ran with it. Cleveland is, as I've mentioned, and you mentioned there too, Jeff, they've had a lot of good matchups over the last few years. And look, I don't think Baker Mayfield's ceiling is what he did in 2019. There were some stats that Mayfield put out that were impressive, but for the most part, you it wasn't the impressive season that I was expecting out of Mayfield. I expect him to be much improved. The Ravens knew in that Week 16 game they could not have a repeat of what happened in Week 4 with Nick Chubb literally running all over this defense. 20 carries, 165 yards, and 3 touchdowns. And that was coming after the Ravens gave up 500 yards to the Chiefs offense. They go out and give up 500 yards to the Cleveland offense. The way the Ravens defense was constructed in week four was so much different than it was constructed in week 16 and they only improved in my opinion and just like cleveland did in the offseason i think both teams got really really strong in the offseason both had strong drafts both had strong free agency periods both have good young quarterbacks and i I think i do agree with you jeff these two teams are going to be duking it out for the next few years for what i believe will be the afc north title but when you look at what the ravens they're going to have to deal with, with this Cleveland organization for the next few years, and we'll, we'll look to 2020. I actually think Baltimore loses week one to Cleveland. I think that the Cleveland Browns, again, go to M&T Banks Stadium, regardless of, of how many fans are there, and they, they beat the Ravens. And, and I think that's just, you know, the coronavirus effects, not having the team together for so long. I think the Ravens come back and beat Cleveland in the primetime game just a few weeks later. But, but, but for the Ravens, for Baker Mayfield, for Lamar Jackson, for everybody involved, these two teams are going to match up very well. I, I think they do match up very well. The Browns have a ton of weapons on offense. The Ravens have one of the best secondaries in the entire league. Plus, they added Calais Campbell. They add Derek Wolf to that defensive line that got obliterated by Derek Henry. So for the Browns, for the Ravens, two very good teams and matchups that I'm looking forward to in 2020.
3: Uh, it's just fun the way you know, they, they, they square up against each other, so to speak here. Um, Chris, looking at this here, you know, for the Steelers and um, look, even, you know, I mean, Eric Ebron was brought in through free agency. But even look, the Bengals, to their credit, got you know, some activity this year in the free in the free agent market, which is something that we're not aware of is the Steelers organization realizing, you know, that maybe you're going to have to pay some guys, um, whether they're your own or whether off the street here, you just can't continue to hope through just the draft alone. Well,
4: I mean, the Steelers have always been a team that doesn't have any cap space because they're paying guys. I mean, they, they have never been one of the big swingers in free agency, uh, since I think it started, uh, they, they've always maintained, "Hey, we draft strong." Uh, they, they look at the, they look at who's who's on their roster, and if they if they have a lot of misses, then they'll make moves there. But you know, the only times they've really had to do it were to get Joe Hayden, uh, you know, in, in as a cornerback when he was just sitting there in training camp. That worked out. Um, they went and got Steven Nelson last year, which was solid addition. but like, you know, by and large, these, they rarely go spend like huge dollars. I mean, and, and they can't go for, you know, a lot of these teams like the Jaguars, you know, like the Browns and like the Bengals attack, you know, they, they'll go into certain free agency periods and have tons of money and say, let's get this guy or let's get that guy. But, um, they, they're going to, they're looking to pay right now. Their biggest concerns are getting, locking up TJ Watt, extending Cam Hayward. Uh, making sure they have the money to keep around Mika Fitzpatrick in a, in a few years, um, you know they're they're looking they're looking at those guys. Um, they are, I think there's there's serious questions of who they're going to pay. Is you know will they try to keep Bud Dupree around long term? Um, I, I think if Alex Highsmith has a strong year, that's going to be a no. Uh, when it, you know will they will they pay James Conner considering they've drafted three running backs in three straight years uh, after picking him. Um, you know, I have a hard time seeing that unless he has a really strong year. Will they pay Juju Smith-Schuster? I talked about that yesterday on the show. Uh, it's going to depend on you know how strong other people come on and how 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 good his relationship is with Ben Roethlisberger and if he's going strong into 2021. Um, but the, the Steelers, I mean, they went and got Ebron because they wanted another tight end to be a playmaker and you know, to help Ben out. And he's Ebron's been. Calling for years to be to join the Steelers. I remember, I was in Detroit in 2017 when he was like buddy, being buddy buddy with Ben. You know, before, during, and after the game, where he was like, "That's my guy. That's my guy." And everyone's like, "Oh, okay. I wonder what you're trying to say." Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I, I mean, the Steelers—they they know they got to pay people when they got to pay people. But they've their their roster's been locked up for for however long. it's just kind of how, how they've operated? Um, I think the biggest question will be when Ben is officially done His he has a 40 million dollar cap hit next year when he's officially done and all that money comes off the books who do they spend it on but I, I imagine they've already got you know plans in the works kevin colbert's been very good at this as planning forward and he's got guys waiting in the wings to take his place that are that are going to keep the same sort of line of thinking i i think they've got their heads on straight and they're not panicking about what's going to happen very soon
3: well i mean if you'll if you guys would like to just let TJ Watt move, I think the rest of us, you know, hosting the ah! North, we'd be more than okay with that. James, first of all, and uh, James, welcome back um, to the Lockdown family. Um, you know, obviously, you know, piss poor franchise a few years ago talking. Um, but, you know, look, I mean, the light lamps, uh, the, you know, and you're back here. And it's great seeing you do Bengals coverage because I know how difficult it gets sometimes talking about something that you don't have much faith in. And then when you start to see uh, the product grow here. I do want to ask you this, though. Um, I, I love the wide receiver core. I love what they've got going on there. Um, you know, Joe Mixon, You know, I get my jabs in when I can, but obviously Joe Mixon, more than a capable back. Um, everybody, I think to a man within football community, thinks Joe Burrow is going to be something. Where is this offensive line at? And if I, I learned anything from what the Browns were able to do in 2018, from what they were not able to do, in 2019, it's having the offensive line in place because you want your quarterback to play free. You want him to feel safe. You want him to feel he can do everything he needs to do. But there are some questions. I mean, one of the guys they're relying on the most still has not taken an NFL snap to this point.
1: They're where the Browns were a year ago without the height. <laughs> we, we all thought that the Browns were going to take off running, but they were extremely flawed in a lot of areas. They didn't have the depth on defense that contenders required, especially when you're going up against uh, some tough opponents in the AFC North. And then they struggled on the offensive line. So fast forward to this year, it's the same thing for Cincinnati. That uh, They have the pieces in place in a lot of areas. Do they need to work on their defense a little bit more? Yes. They're another offseason away. But there's a scenario where they win six games, seven games, and then next year they address the offensive line. They address whatever other weakness they have on defense that will rear its ugly head this year, especially in a tough division. And then I, I think that there will be some momentum towards the Bengals. It was funny hearing you guys talk about the Ravens and the Browns. I don't, I don't think so. I think this division is the best division in football. I think if Burrow is the guy that I think everyone thinks he's going to be, that the Bengals are going to be right in that mix from from here on out. So the, the offensive line is... Uh, It's uh, there's question marks all over outside of Trey Hopkins at center. uh, You know, you mentioned Jonah Williams. We'll see if he's an upgrade at left tackle, Uh, left guard with Michael Jordan. You know, everyone's like, who the hell is Michael Jordan? He's a second year guard from Ohio State. Uh, They signed Xavier Suofilo at right guard. He's expected to start. Uh, We'll see if he's an upgrade. And and then right tackle, Bobby Hart, Fred Johnson, Akeem Adeneji, who they drafted in the sixth round. They're all going to compete for that job. So a ton of question marks up front. I think a couple of the guys will uh, certainly disappoint, and then they'll be on the search next year, kind of like the Browns were this offseason. Um, but, but I certainly think that they're, they're heading in the right direction, and with one more active offseason, one more aggressive free agency period and a good draft class, I think the Bengals could be in the thick of things a year from now.
3: I was a big fan of the team, and I think that was a great selection for them, and I, I honestly think as, as soon as he starts challenging Bobby Hart, I think the Bengals will remove themselves from that situation altogether.
1: Who knows? That's the beauty of training camp battles, right? And that's certainly something we will be discussing on the podcast assuming training camp's going to start on time. Guys, I will be there. I will be covering it. We'll have all of the latest on the Bengals. I'm just hoping, like I said, training camp scheduled to start July 28th. If there is a training camp, I will be there and we'll have you covered right here on Locked on Bengals. Shout out to the roundtable. We'll be back tomorrow with another roundtable. That's Thursday, probably, depending on when you're listening to this podcast. But on Thursday's show, which will drop Wednesday night, we'll talk Bengals with the same guys that you heard on this show and previous podcasts as we continue the AFC North Ultimate Division Crossover. That's gonna
4: do it for us. In the immortal words of Jake Lisco, "Hooday," and have a good one.